0: At this time last fall, we were all feeling pretty good about the state of Oklahoma's defense. The Sooners had opened the season 2-0, holding Lane Kiffin and FAU's potentially explosive offense to just 14 points and only 4.3 yards per play, and then followed that up with a steady performance against Chip Kelly's new UCLA team, a team that we thought could be pretty good, at least on the offensive side of the football. Then week three arrived. OU went to Iowa State we all realize this Oklahoma defense still wasn't very good. Zeb Noland went off. Yes, that Zeb Noland. Not Brock Purdy, Zeb Noland. He torched the Sooners for 360 yards and two touchdowns. Both of the scores to Hakeem Butler, who looked like an NFL player against a bunch of high school kids in Oklahoma's secondary. Iowa State averaged nearly 6.9 yards per play one week after Iowa held the Cyclones to 3.3 yards per play. Iowa State racked up 447 yards and 27 points against Oklahoma. In the Cyclones' three other games without Brock Purdy playing in 2018, Iowa State was held under 200 yards twice and averaged just 14 points. One of the more interesting aspects of Oklahoma's poor defensive performance against Iowa State last season was that Grant and I didn't see it coming. Grant predicted Oklahoma would win the game 42-14, saying it would be a contest similar to the previous week against UCLA. On my end, I predicted a 31-17 Sooners victory, giving a lot of credit to Iowa State's defense. The point being, neither one of us expected Iowa State's offense to explode and embarrass the Sooners' defense. This trip down memory lane is important because two games into 2019, Oklahoma is about to embark on its first road trip of the season, and personally, I've been mostly happy with the way the defense has looked, a sentiment that I felt last year after two games. Well, if the 2018 season taught me anything, it's that two solid to great performances by Oklahoma's defense doesn't mean the Sooners can actually play defense. Saturday is going to tell us a lot about Alex Grinch's guys. UCLA is atrocious on offense. One of the worst offensive teams in college football, which we'll explain further later on in the show. Iowa State was equally as bad on offense coming into its game with the Sooners last fall, and the Cyclones got right against Oklahoma. If the Sooners allow UCLA to get right this weekend, well, that'll be a clear sign that we need to drastically lower our expectations for what this defense can accomplish this year. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest.
1: CD Lamb.
0: Lamb, balling out. CD Lamb's touchdown last year against UCLA welcomes us in to the show today. Hello, once again. My name is Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Grant will join me here in a moment. But first, real quick, I want to thank you all for your continued support of the show. As you know by now, you can listen to us through iTunes, SoundCloud, and on Spotify. You can like the Facebook page. Just search West of Everest on Facebook and you'll find us. We usually get some good comments, some questions on there. We try to get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Also, you can email the show, Everest at gmail.com. And also you can follow us on Twitter. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. I am at Lee Benson News 9. A lot of different ways to get in contact with us and um, reach out any questions, comments, things like that. We like to hear from you here. As we move on into week three of the college football season. Grant, let's get right to it. Let's bring him in for the first time. It's, um, again, it's like we're already racing towards week three. I mean, we're in week three. We got a game in a few days. I just On Monday at Lincoln Riley's press conference, I kind of went outside and looked at the field and thought, okay, yeah, it's early on in the season, but man, like a month from now, it's going to feel like the season's flying by even more. So basically, it's a reminder to take a step back and enjoy the best time of the year. Is that uh, that something that you need to be reminded of sometimes? Seriously, yeah. I mean, I've a couple of times already this
1: week when I've been... When I've been thinking about uh, this weekend and, and the, the game against UCLA, I've had to stop and think to myself, well, by God, it's already week three. And it feels like, I mean, it, it, always, it always just feels like such a long time that we're waiting for the season to start. And then when it's actually here, man, it just flies by. Except for, uh, except for the bowl bye. That, that takes forever. That's, that doesn't fly by at all.
0: Yeah, but, thank you, college football, for having just a horrible setup for the postseason. It's just not great. But yeah, it's a separate podcast.
1: It's crazy. I mean, and also I haven't even really come to grips with this yet, but after the game on Saturday, we're going to be staring at a bye week after waiting nine months for them to kick off and play another football game. We get we get kind of like a three week teaser and then we got to go into the first bye week of the season. It's almost it's almost cruel if you think about it.
0: I hadn't even thought about that yet, but that's right. Yeah. Wow. It's I think ou has got a couple of bye weeks this year on the schedule, so uh, I think I'd be patient this season. Uh, yeah. Um, all right, let's not waste any time. On these midweek podcasts, we're usually kind of limited in our time. So let's just jump right in. A couple of news and notes from the week, injury wise. Let's start there. Uh, Kenneth Mann, we still haven't seen him yet this year. As of uh, Monday at Lincoln Riley's Presser, he said, uh, Riley said that Kenneth Mann's still close. I just saw a tweet from Tyler Palmatier of the Norman Transcript. Apparently, As of Wednesday during this recording, Kenneth Mann is a maybe for this week's game against UCLA and a little more of a pressing player. And no offense to Kenneth Mann, but this is a guy that we've already seen play at least one game. Well, not we've seen play one game and start at left guard as Marquise Hayes, and he missed the game against South Dakota. And hearing from Bill Biedenbow on Tuesday, he has been practicing this week and. Beidenbo did say that he expects Marquise Hayes to go this week, as long as he progresses the rest of the week, that you know he'll be fine. So that's from Bill Beidenbo Tuesday, and uh, again referencing Tyler Palmetier's most recent tweet from from Wednesday night, speaking to Lincoln Riley. Apparently, Marquise Hayes is a, is a maybe as well for this game, so not a. Uh, it's not fully certain whether or not both those guys will play. So there's your injury update. For uh, Kenneth Mann and Marquise Hayes, I'd say that Hayes is a little more important at this point than Mann because, one, we haven't seen Mann at all yet, and we know that the left side of that offensive line and really the offensive line in general did not get very good reviews from the group themselves and also Bill Biedenbo, which we can kind of get into here in a second. He was not very happy Tuesday night, Uh, but Grant, just your thoughts initially on the the mini-injury update.
1: Well, first of all with Kenneth Mann, um and you know, there wasn't a ton of news that came out from him in the offseason. I think we'd found we, I think we found out that he was hurt uh during the summer, actually pretty early on in the summer, but just the severity of uh, the severity of it was kind of limited. We didn't know. Um most reports I heard during the summer was that he was looking at maybe missing like half of the season. So if we're already in week 3 and he's a he's a maybe for a game, that's that's good news, right? So Um, depth on the, on the defensive line is always a good thing, especially if you want to throw an extra pass rusher in there, you can never have too many of those. So, you know, I, I, I don't think Kenneth man, um, is going to play a massive role when he comes back, just, just with the emergence of some other guys, uh, you know, Jalen Redmond, Leron Stokes being the the other two and, and also Ronnie Perkins. And it looks like they're only, they're only kind of putting out three down linemen there at a time anyway. So I don't think Kenneth man's going to get as much playing time as he did last season, but, um, you know, the most effective he has ever been as a sooner was as a spot pass rusher off the bench in 2017 when he had five and a half sacks. So if he can if he can replicate that sort of production, you know coming off the bench, obviously that's very valuable. As far as Marquise Hayes, um, you know, that's one of those instances where I, I sort of just want him to get healthy. I think that they'll probably be fine on offense against UCLA without him, although I do think, um, his his absence, even against South Dakota, was, was pretty apparent when you actually watch it. I don't think R.J. Proctor uh, did as good of a job as Marquise Hayes did in the opener against Houston. And also Marquise Hayes is kind of a monster. So uh, he's a guy that we do not want to miss extended time at all, um, generally this early in the season, and especially if you're going up against a team that... Um, you know, really has, has not packed much of a punch in the first two weeks of this season. And I think Marquise Hayes is gonna be one of your more important guys going forward this year. Is a guy that, that you're gonna need if you wanna if you wanna compete with the Texases and Clemsons and Alabamas of the world. Uh maybe they should think about sitting him down, especially with a bye week coming up just so we can make sure he's one hundred percent healthy going into uh going into October.
0: Yeah, I mean they'll be smart with him no matter what. So no concerns as far as, you know, pressing him I think back too quickly because yeah I mean they're gonna be smart they even though Bill Biedenboe was not particularly happy on Tuesday they still there's still players in that offensive line grouping that can come in and compete and and still play up to a pretty pretty good level I think at Oklahoma so before we get into the the full UCLA preview and look at that that Bruins team let's talk a little bit more about the offensive line because on Tuesday I was there in Norman with the offensive availability and Bill Biedenboe came out and man, he was, he's always pretty great, but uh, you could tell he was just very perturbed, not happy at all, quite pissed, excuse my language. And uh, I got some sound from him that I want to play and and it may give you a little bit of a a snapshot of kind of what his mood was. So if you haven't heard this yet, I think this is pretty good. Uh, Bill Biedenboe lamenting where his offensive line is through two weeks of the season.
1: There's a standard how you play around here. That's not how you play. So I've got to do a better job getting them motivated to play, coach them, and they gotta play better. I don't accept any excuses. You know what I mean? I mean you gotta play better, you gotta coach better. I mean that's what there's no magic potion, you know what I mean? Yeah. You work. You work hard. That that's what you do. That's how you become good, you know, and that's what we gotta do. We gotta do it better. We're capable of being really, really good. Yeah. But it's gotta be important. You gotta do it every day. You know what I mean? And you know, we didn't do that last week. It showed up. It's football. It's life. And
0: you know, I gotta admit, though, listening back to that for like the tenth time, when you don't see it, when you don't have the visual of being there and the video part, he, he, it doesn't sound like he's as mad. But you could tell he was—he was pretty, pretty angry uh, with his with his offensive lineman and a guy that we continue to praise over and over and over again as the best offensive line coach in the country. Joe Moore, award-winning team last year, and and we're not concerned at all with the offensive line because of Bill Biedenboe. It is nice from an outsider perspective, basically not on the team, not in that room, not getting chewed out by Bill Biedenboe. It's nice to hear that uh, he's on it, Grant. He's uh, he's going to fix the problem.
1: Man, I love Bill Biedenboe.
0: Do you have the audio
1: of him? Uh, I think it was Tyler Palmatier who also asked him if if uh if practice was hard for the guys and then he just totally deadpanned it and said ask them
0: i don't have that sound you don't have it was that so one short yeah but, i I, but I did see that that, was
1: good. that uh jeez yeah when that dropped uh, the other night i, I kind of i did like a like a spit take on it i kind of laughed a little bit it was <laughs> just like ah yes it was it it was not great for them was it so no i i, I love bill bean and um it's uh I don't know. Yeah, I was. I was not particularly impressed with how they looked uh, against South Dakota. The offensive line, they just too many mistakes, too many penalties, uh, just too many guys getting free. I thought, and you know, this is all relative. They weren't bad. Like if I mean, if you're if you're judging them against every team in the country, you know, it, it, it's it's it is hard to find fault when they had over 700 yards of offense. So they were they were effective. There were just just too many glitches going against a team like South Dakota. So. Um, you know it's it's going to be a work in progress the last 2 years you know they weren't they weren't amazing on the offensive line in september either they were they were good relative to the rest of college football but by the end of the season on a completely different level and i expect something similar like that to happen this season
0: so creed humphrey came out tuesday so i asked creed if uh you know or it was this was after bill beedenbo went and i and you'll hear i have the the question here too but uh well, I'll just play the uh, this piece of audio because I basically wanted to see what Creed had to say about Beatenbow and, and just kind of his reaction. When Coach is asking like that, he said he, he's been real serious. And again, like Eric was saying, that we could tell that he was a little perturbed with the way things are going. Do you all know that going in though, when you guys went to meeting? I mean, are you expecting Coach to be like that? Uh,
1: we all watched the film. You know, none of us were happy with the way we played. You know, uh, it's not the standard that we have for us, and it's, it's not the expectations we have for us. So, you know, uh, we're probably more mad than he was
0: on ourselves. So. So uh, th- the players were more upset potentially than Beethoven was. Do you say that, that was a lot? You say that was Creed. That was Creed Humphrey. I yeah. don't know if I've ever heard his voice before. Oh,
1: no. so well, are you surprised? To think. I was like, gosh, he's, it's like I'm getting a little Keanu Reeves in his voice, or maybe I'm just because <laughs> he's he's kind of like you know like, uh, but I know it's not like that. I, I know Creed is like I know he's a sharp guy and everything, but he he kind of sounds like you know like. Uh, Little Keanu, right?
0: If somebody wants to Photoshop a uh, Creed Humphrey John Wick poster, that would be pretty funny. Although well, I, I don't mean, think he has like a Keanu Reeves thing. That might just be because the audio on your end is it's not great. It's so maybe almost you hear it.
1: certainly because of just the the weird audio. But but still, I don't know. I I kind of picked it up in there.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, if there's any guy in that room that would understand or you know know what to expect from bill would be creed humphrey since this is his uh third year in the program and he's a guy who played so much last year all right so the offensive line sounds like it's going to get fixed and you know they're right on track because like you always point out it seems like about midway through the season is when they start to kind of gel and, and start to really start uh, start playing up to their potential and it seems like over the years they keep getting better and better as the season progresses
1: sure and i just i i have one more thought i kind of want to finish on it um we're obviously judging this offensive line compared to probably the last two seasons, right? And I think that's fair. That's that's the standard that Oklahoma has set. And they've also brought in a lot of really talented guys. Guys that that pretty much every program in the country has wanted. And you got got Bow, who has the reputation of being such a good teacher. Um, so that's where we are. But I, you know, I, I, w- I was watching some highlights from the 2015 season earlier today. And I just want to go back to that offensive line. Man, they were they were struggling to run for three yards per carry against Akron in the season opener that season. Um they they ran for less than three yards per carry against Tennessee the next weekend. They were really struggling to run the ball against Texas that season. They uh Baker Mayfield was under so much pressure. That's the reason why they lost the game. They lost because the offensive line just couldn't block anybody. And that's that team still went to the playoff. And so Uh, You know flash forward now to 2019 and you know the offensive line it it doesn't look as good as it has the last two years but man they're still putting up 680 yards 720 yards they've ran for like over over 320 in both games so that's that's kind of where this this program is right now I mean it is a it's it's not where they need to be to block the NFL defensive linemen that Clemson and Alabama are going to throw at you but it's good enough for about 98% of the programs in the country, and they can still put up a whole heck of a lot of yards on you, even when they're not firing on all cylinders. So, man, this is is offensive line you right now. This is where you want to come if you want to develop as an offensive lineman because you're going to be really good by the time you leave.
0: Yeah, this is where you want to go if you're an offensive player plain simple i mean you're crazy if you don't want to come play at oklahoma if you're on the offensive side of the football every single spot every place and there's even there's even room for if you're an h-back or a tight end come on down you're going to be good you're going to be developed if you want to all right let's move into the ucla and this is the part of the show where we'll try to do our best to paint a picture of Oklahoma's upcoming opponent and we have a little more information on the Bruins compared to what we had last week with South Dakota and I think we got to start with Oklahoma's defense against UCLA's offense because of a little bit what I talked about in the opening take UCLA on the offensive side of the football grant is abysmal one of the worst teams in college football in fact ranked 127th in the nation in total offense UCLA is averaging 239 yards per game on offense. Only three teams are worse so far through the first couple weeks of the season. West Virginia, so, man, they've fallen pretty far. Northwestern and South Florida. Those are the three worst teams on offense in UCLA. On a yards per play base, it's it's even worse. 128th in the nation northwestern and surprisingly lane kiffin's fau owls worst team in the nation when it comes to yards per play ucla grant 3.7 yards per play through two games this year this is a punchless offense this is an offense that struggles to create explosive plays in fact they've only had one explosive play through the first two games and that was against cincinnati a long catch and run touchdown that only happened because of a missed tackle granted it was an open field tackle and that's that's tough i've been on record saying that yeah the but ball was that, only
1: thrown like eight yards downfield i think
0: yeah so this is a team that is just struggling to move the football and so those are the numbers right there i have a couple questions that can end up being broader topics and i guess this question will kind of lead into more of the offense as a whole but I mean, Chip Kelly's in charge of this offense, Grant, and he's got a reputation of being an offensive guy. And it's been, what, about 10 years now since he kind of came on the scene first, and he was this revolutionary guy, and those Oregon offenses were so, so good. And now, between last year, this year, kind of his last year with San Francisco, kind of with Philadelphia, the Eagles, but not really. They were still okay. Chip Kelly's offenses have been bad. I mean, they cannot move the football. I don't really know what's going on, although I will say that this offense at UCLA looks measurably different than it looked like when he coached in the NFL and at Oregon. It looks more like a pro-style offense sometimes. They go under center quite a bit more than they ever did at Oregon. All right, so this is going to sound a bit bizarre to you listening, but uh, we had some technical difficulties. You may have seen the West of Everest Facebook post uh, Thursday morning. We had some technical difficulties recording Wednesday night, and uh, we got the first 20 minutes of the show, it was all good to go, and this is me kind of acknowledging to you all that there is some difficulty, so if we repeat ourselves moving forward, that's uh, our mistake, but we're not trying to. Uh, We we will continue talking about um, Chip Kelly, UCLA, and we'll get into our full UCLA preview uh, right now, and the next thing I was going to say before the technical difficulties happened was... Chip Kelly, his offense, it looks different. It's not quite as creative. It's not as high-paced. high, pay, uh, high paced. It's not as fast. I was going to ask Grant, and I'll ask you this now, Grant. Uh, what's going on with with Chip Kelly? Has he potentially kind of just lost his fastball? It almost feels like that when you watch them play
1: because there's a lot of stuff that – you just didn't see a whole lot when he was at Oregon. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with, with what he picked up when he was in the NFL and whatnot. But you see a lot, at least I I noticed this and, and this is, I I mostly watched the Cincinnati game. I didn't see a ton of the San Diego state game, Uh, but a lot of weird shifting by the offensive line to try to get numbers. It seems like there, there were two tight ends on the field a lot. They had a lot of heavy sets where they were trying to run power. Uh, Didn't work ever, not once. And, uh, just not a whole lot resembling what they did at Oregon. Because if you remember when he was at Oregon, it was very much, it was all about tempo, tempo, getting the ball to the edge, getting the ball into the hands of their speedy receivers and running backs. Um, And of course, they always had a good dual threat quarterback as well. But you just don't see a lot of that influence when you watch UCLA. In fact, it kind of almost looks like, it almost looks like a high school team that is, that is, that is watching YouTube videos of Oregon and just trying to imitate what they're doing without any proper coaching.
0: I wouldn't even say that because the offense looks nothing like how it used to look. Because they'll go under center quite a bit more than you ever saw any of those Oregon quarterbacks do. I don't know if they ever went under center when Chip Kelly was there.
1: No, I, I don't think so.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, and you would remember this more than me because uh, you know college football, your memory as far as the last ten years, especially outside of Oklahoma, stuff so is probably a little bit better than mine. So, yeah, you'll see a lot of under center stuff, heavy sets, off-balance, off-balance lines with an extra offensive tackle, offensive lineman in there. Saw that a lot against Cincinnati in the first half. I didn't see it a whole lot from my what my memory, uh, if memory serves in the second half of that game. And I don't recall it a whole lot against San Diego State because I did watch that game as well. So maybe that was like one of those things where they kind of thought they would be able to do something in Cincinnati. And they didn't see much success. So they kind of went away from it. But... Um, Tempo-wise, it's not there. As you remember, his first year, his two years at Philadelphia with the Eagles, there was a lot of tempo. It wasn't the same kind of tempo we saw at Oregon because the NFL game was different. And it's almost like the NFL, and then you went to the 49ers, and they struggled, and the offense wasn't quite the same. It kind of got beaten out of him. And now you see a guy like Lincoln Riley, who is an offensive genius, and the way he runs his offense. And there's not really much tempo there. Uh, There's just a lot more creative looks, a lot more plays based off of a look of another play, getting the defense confused, not quite sure how to read the keys. And then you look to Kellen Moore, who's now a 30 year old offensive coordinator with the Cowboys in the NFL, and he made the Cowboys look incredibly good in week one against the Giants. And I'm not sure if that offense will continue to be like that throughout the year, but it looked a lot more dynamic than the past couple of years with Dak Prescott and things like that. And it made Prescott look like a guy that you want to pay money to. I bring those two other guys up because those are the kind of the new offensive minds. And of course there's Kyle Shanahan in the NFL, chip Kelly was that guy, but it seems like now whatever he's doing offensively, I'm not sure uh, how much of it is a talent thing. And just not being able to being able to implement his system or how much of it is just his system is just not very good anymore because there are some players at UCLA. They have some decent skill guys. Sure. The talent hasn't quite been as good as it, as they probably would like at UCLA. Uh, but, man, this offense is just, is just not good. And I can't remember if before we stopped recording we went, we went over the UCLA uh, anemic offense stats. Do you remember if we did or not? I, think we, I don't think we did.
1: I don't think we did, but they're, they're certainly not pretty.
0: So, yeah, let's get to that right now. And just to kind of back up, what we're saying about Chip Kelly's offense, it's one of the worst offenses in college football. It's averaging only 239 yards per game. That's good enough for 127th in the nation. And by the way, there's 130 teams. So only, uh, there's only three teams worse than UCLA in college football right now offensively as far as yards per game. And one of those teams is in the Big 12, Grant. A team that you predicted was going to be pretty bad this year, West Virginia. So you're looking pretty good about that prediction so far.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it was... If you pay attention, the writing was very clearly on the wall. Um, and also that that game last week, the the uh, Missouri minus fourteen against West Virginia, that was the only easy game last week. I thought like that yeah, one it ended was
0: up being like taking candy from a baby. That one was sure.
1: was like stealing
0: money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then as far as yards per play go, because you know this is a yards per play podcast, we like that stat. UCLA only three point seven yards per play, which is 128th in the nation and Oklahoma is the best team in the nation at yards per play offensively I think the Sooners right now are at like 10.6 yards per play which is more than a yard and and change more than the next best team so did you look that
1: up are you sure because like didn't they because didn't they average over 12 yards per play against Houston and then almost 11 last week so wouldn't they be more than that or is that bad math I don't know
0: I thought I had looked it up and now you got me trying to Google it again. But uh, I thought I saw on the, the weekly notes that we always get I, the, the number 10.6 seems like something okay, that I saw. Fair but I'll, I'll double check it right now. Either way, 10.6 is very good. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, uh, 10.9, 10.9 is actually the yards per play number. So I was off by 0.3 yards it's okay. so almost 11 yards per play sure
1: also though i i do want to bring this up here and this is actually i didn't uh in our in our failed recording yesterday i didn't bring this up but you know there there is some some evidence to suggest that maybe the two teams that ucla was you know played the first two weeks are actually pretty good on defense like these are actually good defenses they were playing like for instance i know uh Cincinnati last year finished in the top thirty of an uh, S and P on defense, and I think they returned nine starters this year. And then San Diego State was also up there, and they've kind of developed a reputation for being a good defensive team in the Mountain West as well. And uh, we kind of gave we gave them a little grief for for only beating Weber State six to nothing uh, in the first week.
0: San uh, Lee, Diego State, yes,
1: yeah, San Diego State beat Weber State. Uh, Lee, Weber State is a is a top ten FCS team, so. You know, they're a they're a decent team, Um, you know. So,
0: yeah, that's I mean, that's fair to bring up. I'm glad you remembered to bring that up again, because, yeah, I mean, I do know about that San Diego State reputation as a team that plays low scoring games and has a pretty good defense. And then, yeah, Cincinnati was supposed to be a really good team and they still very well might be. It's just they got their doors blown up by Ohio State, who looks to be a lot better than I thought they would be. Uh, out of the gate so yeah having I, you know having yeah, the that been said face have been uh, probably pretty solid pr-
1: pretty solid but having that been said you know that's still you know 120 some odd plays they've run so far and they're still in the bottom what three in the country in yards per play so it's I, I'm not I don't say that to excuse UCLA and say oh this is actually like a juggernaut offensively but it's to say you know based on everything that we know about these teams, it wouldn't be that crazy to say that San Diego state and Cincinnati might be better on defense than OU is.
0: Yeah. It's hard to defend Oklahoma's defense based on what we've seen in the last handful of seasons. So when you bring up two group of five teams saying that they might have better defenses, Oklahoma, you want to, uh, uh, um, you want to just kind of be like, no, that that's ridiculous. It's Oklahoma compared, but you can't really do that. Um, so anyway, but as far as explosive-wise, I mean, UCLA, a lot of you may have watched that first game against Cincinnati, and you saw that explosive uh, play where it was just like a dump down to a running back, Demetric Felton, who was playing for Joshua Kelly in game one, and Kelly, by the way, is our starting running back. He's back. He came back against San Diego State, but you saw that a missed tackle led to an explosive touchdown catch and run against Cincinnati. Outside of that play, the longest play from scrimmage I believe UCLA has had this year is something like 24 yards. They just have not been able to create any sort of explosive plays at all in the first two games of the season. And now they're facing an Oklahoma defense that has a reputation, at least in the past, for giving up explosive plays to offenses that aren't necessarily all that explosive. So you kind of see where we're going with this. We're confident in Oklahoma, but yet UCLA might have a chance to do some things against Oklahoma defense that looks pretty good so far. But you never know; could have those leaks.
1: Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm really trying to just forget about about the opponent going into this game, or at least forget about their their awful stats on offense. Because you know, you know, when they go seventy five yards for a touchdown, it's just gonna frustrate you and piss you off. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, this is one of those games that and of course we can say this, we're fans, we're not actually playing in the game, but this is one of those perfect games. Block out the noise. The fact that UCLA is averaging three point whatever yards per play and one of the worst offensive teams in the country. This is a trap, man. It's a trap. Just don't fall into it. Um and, until OU can consistently show that they can that they can shut down bad offenses, which they haven't shown that really at all. Um, I'm I'm gonna always err on the side of caution here. Like I, you know, I'm expecting Cincinnati to get right a little bit on offense in this game.
0: Sounds like a little bit of a tease to the segment where we talk about what's going to happen in this game as we make our predictions later in the podcast. Let's uh, let's talk about Dorian Thompson Robinson. I think when we were doing our failed recording, we got into DTR pretty quickly. We've kind of stayed away from him tonight as we record. Torian Thompson Robinson, let's talk first about the UCLA-Cincinnati game, and what I saw from him in that matchup was that he was woefully inaccurate in the intermediate range as well as deep down the field. It seems like he very rarely ever has a throw scheme to open for him, and what I mean by that is you look at a guy like Jalen Hurts, who is a talented player, but historically he's been about a 60 61 percent completion percentage guy at Alabama he comes to Oklahoma and you're seeing these easy throws whether it's just kind of swing passes out or it's designed plays where Hertz knows that hey this slant's going to be there based on maybe a play action or look at the cushion he's got here this guy's going to be there or hey even like that fake uh run play where it looked like he was going to run and then he Uh, pulled up and threw it deep to Charleston Rambo against Houston. I mean, these are these are schemed shot plays, the Rambo one in particular, that are designed to have somebody wide open. And they have been for Jalen Hurts, and he's been able to complete something like 70 or 80 percent of his passes so far. He only has, I think, what, maybe like seven incompletions or something. Meanwhile, Dorian Thompson Robinson just doesn't ever seem like he has an easy throw to make. And that is a, an indictment, I think, on Chip Kelly and his offense. He's got to give this guy, a, you know, a couple more easy throws, well, uh, well-schemed, well well-designed plays to get this guy into a rhythm. Uh, the ball placement, not quite there. Um, so he was 8 of 26 against Cincinnati for 156 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Take away that, that short check down pass that went for – I think uh, you know, 60, 70 yards. He was only 7 to 25 for 81 yards passing in that game. Just brutal. He definitely played a little bit better against San Diego State, but uh, turnovers were an issue against Cincinnati. He turned it over four times. He turned it over a little bit against San Diego State as well. He's just a very inconsistent player, and um, he's a guy that Oklahoma defensively – needs to take advantage of because he has not shown to be that good of a college quarterback so far in his second season grant what have you seen from dtr
1: if you're going based solely off the cincinnati game there's really no way you can sugarcoat it he was truly awful in that game like it's actually pretty difficult to play worse than he did as a college quarterback uh just showed a complete uh, complete inaccuracy down the f- not even down the field but in medium routes as well, he threw a terrible pick on like a really easy stick route uh, on on third and long, that he threw it to, into like double coverage and stared the guy down the entire time. Um, really no accuracy on mid level throws, anything like that. He had he had happy feet. You could tell he wasn't comfortable at all. Um, there were some instances in that game against San Diego State where he did get some time to throw, and he sat back and ball looked really smooth coming out of his hand. Looked really good. But man, those plays are very few and far in between. Um, he looks like a guy who's just not comfortable at all and at times doesn't really know what is being asked of him. And of, and of course, that has to be uh, an indictment of Chip Kelly.
0: Yeah, he does look uncomfortable out there because I think his mechanics are really nice. He looks smooth back there when he steps into a throw. He's got a good arm. Uh th- as far as arm strength goes, accuracy-wise, obviously, needs, needs some work. But he looks like a nice player. You see the talent there. And you might think, okay, remember last year, and not even necessarily last year, but just kind of his recruitment coming out of high school, he's billed as a kind of a dual-threat type of guy. And he definitely has some speed and some athleticism. So you might think, okay, we've seen De'Aeric King go up against Oklahoma. And then we saw... The South Dakota quarterback who is a somewhat athletic, but he was more getting the ball out of his hands to his receivers quickly, but more on Derek King. He was a guy that could get away from sacks, scramble, move around and make it hard on Oklahoma's defense. Well, Dorian Thompson Robinson, he has that ability, I think, to run, but he very rarely has run in the first two games. He likes to sit back there in the pocket. And he, he doesn't panic. He doesn't think to just run right away. He goes through his progressions a, a decent amount. It looks like, to me at least, it's just there doesn't ever seem to be anything there. Or if there is something there, it's just not it's not signaling to him in his brain. He's not pulling the trigger. So he's having a tough time eliminating. But uh, I'm, I haven't seen a whole lot of him really getting out of the pocket and scrambling and picking up yards uh, kind of outside of the, the concept of the play uh, and extending the play, really. And so if you're kind of wondering, oh, can this guy beat Oklahoma with his legs? He can, but he hasn't really shown it yet through two games. Is that kind of what you've seen too?
1: Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen as much of a willingness to run as I anticipated. And I got to think, if, if UCLA is serious about wanting to win this game, that's got to be part of their game plan, right? To be able to take advantage of OU's aggressiveness up front. You got to get him on, on misdirection maybe and maybe take advantage of OU's uh struggles a little bit in the first two games of tackling in the open field. Um get the ball out of yeah, his hands. absolutely. absolutely. Cuz I mean cuz their offensive line can't block anybody. Uh OU's OU's defensive front is going to be in the backfield a whole lot in this game. And I I'm not even sure if it's going to be like a measuring stick game for them because I this is probably the worst offensive line I think they've faced so far. South Dakota is better up front than UCLA <laughs> is. And yeah, I know I don't that's great. Cra- that. I
0: I just I South Dakota's a bad FCS team. I mean I they know, had a decent offensive game plan against Oklahoma, but they when Oklahoma was trying, they couldn't do anything. They had one nice drive and Oklahoma turned it over. They they forced that fumble in the second quarter. I don't know, man. I think you're being I think you're over. There's yeah, no way South Dakota has got a better offensive line than UCLA. Well,
1: UCLA <laughs> can't block anybody. Like I mean it's they're going to they They're going one of the really worst teams running the ball in the nation. They're going to yeah. really struggle blocking OU's front. Like, it's just I I, what I saw, especially in the Cincinnati game, they really struggle with quickness. And I mean, that's that's Neville Gallimore and Ronnie Perkins. That's what they do. It's I mean, that's it's going to be really tough for them, I think. Um, It's not it's not going to surprise me. I'm sure they're going to get some chunk plays on the ground because that's just that's just kind of the risk that you take with this aggressive style of defense. But I mean, there's going to be a lot of plays where they just whiff. Because I saw it a lot against Cincinnati, and I think I think OU is a lot better up front than Cincinnati is.
0: The best drive I've seen from DTR was the very first drive of the game against um, San Diego State. He completed a couple really nice throws. Uh, he was rolling out to his right, hit a nice out route near the sideline, just a perfect ball. And then he also hit a nice out route to the left. So he showed some a uh, little little. Uh, a little bit more um, ability to make some throws early on, but that was kind of it against against San Diego State. He had one other touchdown pass. That was that was a nice throw, uh, but that was it. So that was kind of my last thing on, on DTR. Let's shift now into other offensive weapons UCLA might have, just kind of some names to watch out for, guys to uh, who you might think, okay, I've heard that guy's name. Here's who Oklahoma should be. Um, trying to really keep an eye out for in the game. And Joshua Kelly is the starting running back. He made his return against San Diego State, and he looks like he's a good player. He's got some talent. He just had nowhere to run. And that kind of is a feather in your cap talking about the UCLA offensive line. It had a tough time blocking San Diego State. Joshua Kelly, I think, had a touchdown in that game, but didn't do anything else really after that.
1: Oh, and also, too, yeah, I, I should have brought this up, too. Uh, San Diego State had 10 tackles for loss and three sacks against UCLA.
0: So, and the ball was out, too, on uh, on one or two of those. And I yep. can't remember. If, I think San Diego State recovered one of them.
1: And also, so, yeah. uh, you, you mentioned Joshua Kelly. He was a guy who did not – I don't even think he played a snap last year in Norman. And then, uh, I don't know he ran for 1,300 yards last year for UCLA. He was pretty much their entire offense uh, in their season
0: post-OU. So, outside of Joshua Kelly, you look for receiving threats. And, again, the uh, the offense has been – has been pretty abysmal for ucla the only guy that i've seen on tape so far that has any sort of downfield threat is a guy named jalen irwin and he was a leading receiver against cincinnati he caught a 39 yard fade route had uh, a couple other catches that didn't really go anywhere against san diego state though he had three catches as well uh, another guy ozzy ozzy led the team but either way there hasn't been really anybody that is uh, Shown much concern to me on tape, but Grant, I will say we were doing our failed recording last night. There was one guy that you kind of randomly think might give some problems to Oklahoma.
1: Yep. Uh, there's a guy who stood out to me physically, just the way that he moves and the way he runs. Uh, it's their tight end, Greg Dulcich. He got a touchdown pass from DTR in San Diego State. Um, I just I saw the guy, and I saw him run, and I just immediately thought, hmm, if OU gets burned in the passing game, it's going to be that guy. So keep... Uh, Keep your eye out for Greg Dulcich. He is a, uh, he's, like, he's like a 6'4", 230-pound tight end. Really lengthy. He runs well. Um, and also keep an eye out for uh, Theo Howard, who is actually their best receiver. He had missed the first two games, and he is expected back for OU. I don't know in what capability. He, I think he was dealing with a foot injury, so it's possible he could still be slowed down. But uh, he is probable for the game, and so UCLA does get their best receiver back, although may not be 100% healthy.
0: Demetric Felton was the running back who played instead of Joshua Kelly in the first game. He's still being sprinkled in here and there randomly. And then I, before we started recording tonight, uh, you brought up Casimir Allen, who was a player that I think gave Oklahoma a little bit of troubles last year. But he has not been playing, right? And he's not even supposed to play against Oklahoma on Saturday. I don't, I don't know if he gave OU troubles
1: last year. I just remember going into last year's game, he was the only guy on their offense that really scared me. Um, maybe, just, yeah, maybe that was it yeah he, he's kind of like a, he, he's a little small receiver kind of like a D'Anthony Thomas type if you want to go Chip Kelly prototypes but no he has a uh, he's got an academic issue and the injury report says he's out indefinitely and Chip Kelly didn't mention him so I think we'll probably take uh, take his word for it or take the injury reports
0: word for it and now as we're talking about Oklahoma's defense and UCLA's offense the last thing I have that I just found kind of interesting is that Alex Grinch and Chip Kelly they know each other they used to coach together at New Hampshire back in the day and I've got let's see I've got Grinch's Wikipedia page pulled up he was at New Hampshire from 05 to 08 and I want to say Kelly was there I think they overlapped from like 05 to 06 I got to put up bring up Chip Kelly's pages to make sure but it's interesting that uh, both of them obviously they know each other and they coached you know, together more than 10 years ago. not sure if it's going to factor in at all in this game because I'm sure each of them have evolved quite a bit since then, but just kind of a nice storyline to keep an eye out for or just to kind of to know about as you watch the game.
1: Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it was, what, like 13, 14 years ago. Might as well be ancient history, but still pretty yeah. cool.
0: Let's see. Kelly was at New Hampshire. He was the offensive coordinator there from 99 to 06 so yeah they overlapped in 05 and 06 and then after new hampshire that's when chip kelly went to oregon as the offensive coordinator before he took the head coaching job two years later so yeah that was his first or his uh his last place before he went to oregon and um, by the way chip kelly played played ball at new hampshire so he's uh he was an alum all right let's switch it over to the oklahoma offense and the ucla defense let's see let's make this kind of a quick segment here what does UCLA do on defense? For me, what I've seen is a, about a 3-4 base look. Secondary-wise, they play up on the line of scrimmage a decent amount, it seems like, although I think their secondary players aren't particularly that impressive. I like one of their linebackers a lot. His name is Chris Barnes, number 14. To me, and I know Grant disagrees with this, but to me, he's flashed as, their, as one of their better defensive players, I know Grant likes what he sees more as some of their defensive linemen. But, uh, Osa
1: uh I think, is very clearly their most infa- impactful defensive player of what I've seen so far. He's
0: up front. Okay. Uh, but honestly, it's a defense that has been put in some bad spots by the UCLA offense. That's something that uh, Bill Biedenbo brought up on Tuesday night whenever we were there talking to him and you look at all the turnovers UCLA has had it makes sense I mean they had four against Cincinnati I think they had they at least two against San Diego State and so there's been some short fields that uh, the UCLA defense has had to kind of figure out and also too, the fact that the offense for UCLA is pretty terrible they kind of go out there every single time knowing that they're not going to have a whole lot of a lot of help behind them whenever they do get a stop or do get off the field so take that into account I think that's fair Um, but again the, the the defensive backs, to me, have not looked particularly that that good in the first two games of the year. They've had a, a backup corner playing a lot of the time because one of their starting corners, Darnay Holmes, has been out. And I believe, uh, by the way, Jay Shaw is the corner I'm talking about that's been playing. He had a nice interception against Cincinnati, but he didn't really impress me much against San Diego State. He didn't really stand out to me as much. And I know another corner came on the field to spell him a couple of series but uh, Darnay Holmes is their best defensive backslash best corner I believe and it sounds like he might be able to go or at least maybe I guess we're not sure yet right Grant is that the injury update you got is that we're still kind of unsure about Darnay Holmes?
1: Yeah, he's questionable. I think I, I think I did see game time decision somewhere so
0: all right well I mean if Holmes is out and UCLA is still putting out there the same defensive guys we've seen uh, that's good for Oklahoma's offense. Oklahoma's offense is really good they should be able to move the ball against a lot of defenses especially UCLAs so I not too concerned about uh, this matchup obviously not really sure what else to to go on here Grant I'll let you go I'll let you kind of give your thoughts and I'll probably pick you back onto some of them
1: you know I, I I think if you look at it statistically UCLA's defense really hadn't been all that bad actually. In fact, really, you could argue that in these first two games, it's been their defense that has solely kept them in these games. Um, because if you're judging solely on the offense, it's not a pretty picture. Obviously, um, Lee, how much of the, the Cincinnati games you watch? I, this doesn't really matter, but do you see where uh, Cincinnati like clearly fumbled and UCLA returned it for a touchdown, and somehow replay didn't overturn yes. it? Yes,
0: yes, that was a bad break for UCLA because that they were down by ten points. They forced a fumble in the fourth quarter, and I thought it was pretty clear, too. I thought the ball was out, clear recovery, and UCLA took it to the house. And it should have been 24-21, but instead it was a huge break for Cincinnati, and they kept the football. So, yeah, I did see that. Yeah.
1: It, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean anything. I just thought it was it was interesting. So, I mean, there is. you could argue there is a playmaking element to UCLA's defense. Um, you know, as far as what – will they have any success against OU – I do recall in last year's game, they they aggressively attacked the GT counter quite a bit and they did have some success doing that. And I, I expect them to probably try to replicate that and have some success at times. Um, will they have sustained success? Probably not. Um, but yeah, they're you know, unless unless Darnay Holmes comes back and he is every bit of the NFL draft pick that a lot of people are billing him up to be. I just I don't see a ton of resistance in this UCLA secondary I I see OU's receivers pretty much handling them
0: with ease Oklahoma should be able to run its offense its base offense the way they normally do if they want to match up and go one-on-one with certain players on the outside because UCLA has done that they will bring their corners up and they'll play kind of a press man look and and challenge opposing wide receivers. If they want to do that, Oklahoma will probably have some one-on-one opportunities for guys like C.D. Lamb or whoever else they want to put out on the outside. They can mix and match, put anybody out there. Lamb, Calcaterra, Jaden Hazelwood. I mean, So take your pick. Lincoln Riley will will be able to kind of adjust and, and move the ball or call plays and move the ball kind of however he sees fit because uh, this UCLA defense, again, it's not a bad defense, but uh, it hasn't jumped off tape to me much i mean they gave up some plays to both cincinnati and san diego state two teams honestly that have average to below average offenses i think san diego state's offense probably is more below average cincinnati's is is probably closer to average but uh that quarterback C- cincinnati, cincinnati had not- some
1: cincinnati had some okay receivers i thought
0: yeah I mean, their quarterback doesn't impress me a whole lot I can't think of his name right now. And they also but, uh,
1: had uh they also have Mike Warren, the old starter at uh, he's at, o- at Ohio State. He's he's a solid player.
0: Yes. All right, so let's move on cuz we're going to try to get this done as quick as we kind of can. And there's not a whole lot to go on with the offense. So Grant, let's move on to the final two segments before we get to the rest of the podcast. What we want to see happen and what will happen. And I'll start with this. What I want to see happen. Well, I want to see Oklahoma's defense come out and play exactly the same way it's played the last two games. Come out strong, look prepared, get off the field, three and outs, and fly around, make tackles, and get the opposing offense thinking, man, this this defense does look different. It looks better than it has in the past. We're not moving the ball. And in turn, that gives the Oklahoma offense some breathing room and some chances to score, get a couple touchdown lead, and build that lead up. And that's what I want to see. I want to see... The start of the game, similar to what we've seen so far in the first two. Building off of that, though, if Oklahoma does get up and get that three touchdown lead or four touchdown lead, and they do have all their starters in still, obviously, because this is going to be UCLA and not South Dakota, continue to play the same way they had early on in the game. Don't start to get mentally relaxed and and give up those chunk plays because it seemed like against Houston, that kind of happened in the fourth quarter. When all the starters were out there against South Dakota, it was good. But then they started mixing in more twos, you know, two, two or three or four of the twos in with the starters, then they started to kind of show some, some, uh, some weaknesses out there, and some big plays happen and points were scored. Take pride in not giving up very many points. UCLA only scored 14 points in each of its games, uh, 14 in one, 14 in the other. Keep this team down. Don't let them score very many points at all, if, if any at all. Uh, offensively, too, just run your offense. I want them to come out and help the defense out because the defense comes out and does get you know, some stops. Help the defense out. Put the pressure on UCLA, kind of like they've been doing, and mosey on in and roll to another easy victory. That's what I want to see happen in this game. Grant, what about you? Above anything else,
1: I want to see them take care of business. If you're a national championship contender, this is a team you should beat by four or five touchdowns, any day of the week. So do that. Do that. This is not a good football team. This is going to be a crowd that is probably not going to be extremely rowdy. Um, I don't. I, I don't think there's going to be more OU fans there, but there's probably going to be a lot of OU fans there. So I don't think this is going to be the most uh, the, the the most intimidating crowd they've ever played in front of. Um, On the offensive side of the ball, like you said, I just want to see them run their offense. I think this is going to be a game where they're probably going to be able to really get as much as they want, to be honest with you. Um, But on the defensive side of the ball, first and foremost, I want to see some tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, A team like UCLA that has really struggled to move the ball, averaging only 3.5 yards a play or or something like that over the course of the year. This is a type of offense that Alex Grinch's defense, the style that, that he likes to employ, uh, this is the type of the uh, this is uh, the type of offense they're playing that they should really squeeze the life out of them. This is the type of game where you want to get those quick three and outs, the t- the takeaways, so you can separate and build a-, a huge lead against an offense like UCLA an aggressive defense like this. That's how like twenty eight to nothing runs in ten minutes happens, and that's something that I would like to see in this game at one point in time because UCLA just does not have the firepower to keep up. And they're so bad up front that I think OU is going to be able to squeeze them a little bit. Um, but on top of that, I just, you know, I, I don't want to see any busts. I, I know they happen, and, uh, but I, I think the main goal for OU's defense in this game is do not let UCLA get right on offense against you. Last season, it almost seemed like OU, after week two, they were everybody's uh, antidote on offense. Going up against OU, you're going to have a big day. You're going to start feeling good. You're going to build up some rhythm. Just no more. Don't allow that to happen anymore. Come out uh, intense, excited. Get these guys down behind the line of scrimmage. Move on into your bye week, and let's go beat Texas Tech in two weeks.
0: All right, Grant. What will happen against UCLA? And since you just went, I'll let you catch your breath a little bit, so I'll go first. So this will be the second time we've done this, and so hopefully I can do it better this time. So what I think is going to happen, as much as I'd like to get my crimson-colored glasses out and say really positive, nice things about this defense, because what I've seen so far from Oklahoma's defense, I've been happy about through two games. I know there's been some garbage-time touchdowns that nobody likes, but from what I've seen from the starting defense when the game has been on the line or they've been engaged, I've been happy with what I've seen. But we also have seen a lot of these same players in the last two, three years show that sometimes consistency is not there. And after two games last season, Oklahoma went on their first road trip, on its first road trip to Iowa State. We were feeling pretty good about that defense. And all of a sudden, Iowa State looked really good offensively. And Oklahoma's defense did not look very good. And we all started to question things and wonder, okay, what's going on? Were we'll we duped for the first two games? I don't know if we're going to be feeling as duped after this game against UCLA. However, I do think we are going to see UCLA get right a little bit against Oklahoma, Grant. I am not afraid about Oklahoma losing this game. I know you think this is the big trap. You predicted this is the, the trap game for Oklahoma. I just don't think UCLA's offense has the capabilities of keeping up with Oklahoma's offense if it gets into some sort of a God help us a shootout. So I I think Oklahoma is not really in danger of losing this game, but I think they're going to give up some points. UCLA scored 14 against Cincinnati, 14 against San Diego State. I think UCLA gets to 21. I think they get three touchdowns, maybe even a field goal in this game. I do kind of think, though, that Oklahoma is still going to cover this spread. It's 23 and a half right now. we got to pick a score. So you do the math there. I think Oklahoma's going to barely cover it, so I'll go 45-21, although I would like to see Oklahoma score more than 45 points against UCLA. But, again, as much as I'd like to say Oklahoma's defense will come out and do what you think an Alex Grinch defense should be able to do against an offense like this, which I agree with you, I'm – I'm hesitating to predict that's going to happen just based on what we've seen over the last couple of years. And I know Grinch wasn't here before, but a lot of these same players have been. I'm going to go Oklahoma wins 45-21, barely covering the spread. But we come out of this game scratching our head a little bit, feeling a little bit uneasy going into the bye week. What about you?
1: You know, Lee, I largely agree with what you have to say there, and I'm about to say something really similar. Um, I think we're going to have probably a good mixture of what I want to see in the game. So I think there certainly are going to be some drives where they squeeze the life out of them, and they get DTR on the ground behind the line of scrimmage, um, and they get them three and out, and the offense is able to strike quickly after that. Um, but yeah, I, I really do envision UCLA having some a little bit of success in this game. And if we're being honest... They haven't really shown anything up to this point for me to be really confident in that. But I'm just kind of I'm I'm I've been hurt before, and that's what I'm going back on. When I think of this game, it's just very hard for me not to think of 2017 Baylor last year at Texas Tech, last year versus Army, 2016 versus Houston. It just all feels so very similar and familiar. Even last year against Kansas, I I could throw in there. Um, and I just yeah, man. until I see otherwise, I just think that's what we're going to get. I think that's what OU is until they definitively prove that they're not that. So what I think is going to happen, I think they're going to win 49-27. to I think they're going to be up by double digits a vast majority of the game. I don't think the game is really ever going to be that much in doubt. And I think there's going to be times where OU does kind of exert some dominance on defense and overwhelms UCLA with their front. But I think there's also going to be times where UCLA fi- is, is, is finding a rhythm and they pull off some chunk plays and they score a little bit. And I predict that a lot of us, like you said, are going to be pretty uneasy about it going into the bye week. And um, I just think that's what this program is right now. And until they show us otherwise, that's what they will continue to be. And I, I, I do think that UCLA is is likely to have their best game of the season on offense coming up.
0: All right. Well, that is our look at OU UCLA. Time now to talk about the Big 12 and then the national scene of college football make some picks here before we get out of here. Uh, Again, apologize for the delayed release this week, but uh, well, one day late. Hopefully this is the only time this year that that this happens. So let's go to the Big 12. And we usually pick five national games a pick, and a couple of uh, games we're going to pick are Big 12 type games. So Uh, I do know that you would like to talk about... I get When we recorded last night that nobody heard, uh, I had not watched the Texas game back, Texas-LSU, but now I have seen it. So if you want to talk about that a little bit, that might be somewhat of an interesting discussion because I'm sure a lot of people that listen to this podcast also watch that that Texas-LSU game and probably have thoughts on their own. So, Grant, my biggest takeaway from that game is I think both those teams are pretty good. And, man, Texas getting stopped inside the five-yard line and fourth down twice. I mean, in a different world, I mean, Texas wins that game and wins that game maybe somewhat comfortably by maybe a touchdown or more. Uh, just the, a drop touchdown pass early in the game and then they get stopped again uh, later on. So I thought that was interesting. But offensively, I thought Texas looked pretty good. I thought Sam Ellinger is what he has been. He he throws some jump balls. Uh, he had some really poor passes too. Where you are like, yep, that's we're going to get from Sam Ellinger. Uh, they didn't seem to me to have really any deep threats, though. I know Colin Johnson's their main guy, but he didn't really seem to do a whole lot to me. Devin Duvernay didn't really do a whole lot to me either. In that I game think Brennan yet. Eagles is good. He's kind of he? which one is he? He is the one who
1: caught the long touchdown pass. There, I okay. think their first one of the game.
0: Okay, so maybe he's a new. Yeah, I watched the game with uh, no sound, so I didn't hear any of the guys' names or anything like that. Yeah, so. Brennan
1: Eagles is is like the guy that they that they were missing last year. That like their third receiver who could still stretch the field. Um, yeah, uh, Colin Johnson kind of disappearing didn't didn't really surprise me that much. LSU has some really good corners, and I'm sure they were probably focusing on him. Um, I know I know DeVerne has had a really good start to the season. I, I just I don't know if there's much that guy can do to scare me. He just he just doesn't scare. Me. He's solid. He's fine. I, I just gosh he, he had
0: he had twelve catches for 154 and two touchdowns? I man that was the quietest twelve for 154 and two I've ever seen because I. I Boy, maybe it's because I, again, I I don't know. Sorry, I interrupted you, but man, I no, didn't you're know fine. his I, numbers are that good.
1: I just I need to pay more attention, I guess. Yeah, I, I just, it's hard for me not to watch him and think, yeah, that guy's just Deron Neal. That's all he is. So, um you know, hmm. uh, I, I like, I, of course, I hope that doesn't come back to bite me in the butt later on, watch him just go off against OU. Uh, but still, but you know I, I mostly actually wanted to bring this game up because I you know I want to be accountable for my takes as well. And if anybody who's been listening to this podcast since last season knows, one of my favorite one of my favorite activities the last two years <laughs> has been bashing Joe Burrow. Um, and you know I don't you heard a lot of people after his after the game on Saturday night. Um, talk about how, oh, uh, you know, hey, Joe Burrow showed flashes of brilliance last season, and and was was pretty good last season, but we didn't expect this. I just want to stop it right there. Joe Burrow was really bad last year. He was no, not. He good. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't.
0: Was. He did show flashes of brilliance at times, and he no. did show that he could be a good a good quarterback. Nah. nah. Yes, he did.
1: Nah, he didn't. Anywho, <laughs> anywho, we're talking about last Saturday night. Joe Burrow put together. One of the better quarterback performances I have seen in the last decade in college football. Last Saturday night, he was simply outstanding, and if he continues to play like that, he will be in New York, and he will be one of the favorites to win the Heisman Trophy. So, I just want to—I I will be accountable for my takes. This is my Joe Burrow, mea culpa. He was out freaking standing on Saturday night. He's uh, more talented thrower than Sam Ellinger is. Um, oh yeah absolutely this
0: is yeah this is and he's he's uh, got better mechanics he just he's got yeah. he throws the ball he's got better ball placement I mean he was able to make throws on the run too I mean he was sitting back in the pocket making throws but that that kind of clinching was it a touchdown pass like that gave him a two-score lead that was yeah I mean, he was great. rolling to I mean, his left getting pressure to and, his
1: left maneuvering in the pocket and threw a strike yeah. into tight into tight coverage on um, third and 17 third and I think. 17 yeah
0: that's a great play I know there were some play. Texas
1: there's some Texas fans who were pretty upset about the defensive play call there. They sent eight guys. They blitzed eight guys or they didn't blitz eight guys, but they blitzed five guys. Um they left three guys out there on an island to cover their receivers and that's what happens sometimes. But, you know, good for LSU for for taking advantage of that. Lee, I am not ready to live in a world where LSU has an explosive passing offense.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's jarring, it really is. Because like mean,
1: that's that, that is such a consistent well for me to go to for takes just to bash on LSU's <laughs> offense. You have to find and, new
0: material. I mean, they got and, some pass catchers too, man. Yeah, they got some awesome they, receivers.
1: They've always had great pass catchers, yeah. which is why it's been even which you know, why it's been even crazier that they haven't embraced the twenty-first century. But it appears they now have. And after watching LSU on Saturday night, I, I can't help but think they're absolutely a threat to Alabama and the SEC West. I agree. So, although I, you know, let's, I, we could, we could temper it. And I said this before we started recording, cause we don't know yet. Uh, Texas's defense might be bad. It might be bad, like bad. Um, and because I, I'll, I'll say it right now, their linebackers are not good. Uh, Osai and Jeffrey McCullough are just, are just guys. They don't, they don't stand out at all. They do have a lot of. They, they certainly have a lot of uh, uh, of talent in the secondary with Caden Stearns. B.J. Foster now is out for an indefinite amount of time. He's one of their better young uh, defenders. Their corners, I mean, we're just we're just chewed up and spit out against LSU on Saturday night. And if they couldn't handle LSU's receivers, most certainly will not be able to handle OU's receivers. So they're gonna have to get better in a hurry. And now, more that I think about it, they got Oklahoma State coming coming to town, and Tylen Wallace, and and next week I think, and from what I saw from them on Saturday night, they're not going to be able to cover Tylen Wallace, so um, I think that's going to be really interesting going forward. But really, you know, on the Texas side, my biggest takeaway from that game is that their offense is really good. It's an elite unit, one of the best units in the country.
0: Uh, I wouldn't go that far yet with Texas' offense. I would.
1: It's really good, but I, I mean, I. I, I have a much higher opinion of Ellinger than you do, so I can see why
0: why you have I mean, that take. But. He, I mean he was good. He was a good player. I mean he he looked fine. Uh, he he was like Sam Ellinger. And he's They still can't run the ball though. Just gonna yeah, they, point they it can't. out there. Yeah, I mean like there's nothing that I can really say negative about Ellinger. He played pretty well. It's just uh yeah, it's just the, the two fails inside the the five yard line. I mean that was man, that was brutal. Um but Yeah, uh, and also
1: their right. their uh Really benefiting from really smart to move Sam Cosme over to left tackle. Um, they he he looked good. I, I thought I thought Ellinger a lot of the time had had time to throw, which has not always been the case for Texas's offensive line the last decade. In fact, the last decade, they've largely been Swiss cheese. So um, they I, and Cosme is one of the better ones they've had in the last decade. and um pretty shrewd move, moving him from right tackle over to the left because, it seems to uh to solidify that side I know they have the Georgia Tech transfer Parker Braun on that side as well so um yeah you know I think I think Texas right now has the potential to be to be a lot worse on defense than they have been in years past but uh, I think this is very clearly their best offense since that 2009 Colt McCoy team
0: well let's wrap up the big 12 TCU is playing at Purdue I know that's a game that interests you quite a bit and me too as well I I didn't see any of TCU's first game. Frogs have only played once. from I, I think they've only played one game, right? And they have had yep, a buy. Yeah, they had a buy. Uh, same with Iowa State, which we'll get to in a little bit. So TCU going on the road. Uh, TCU's a road favorite at Purdue. Am I reading this right?
1: Yeah, that'll Where? happen when you, uh, when you lose to Nevada, and then Nevada turns around and loses by 71 points the next week.
0: Okay, yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that game? Because I know you have some if you want to put it on the pod. <laughs>
1: No, I I just mostly think it's an interesting. Uh, it's interesting from an X's and O's standpoint. Uh, with, with Purdue, you have Rondale Moore, who I think is probably um, the most well-rounded receiver in the country. Uh, he's he's explosive. He's real good. Uh, if, if you haven't if you haven't seen Rondale Moore play, I, I I'd try my best to maybe tune into that game at least when Purdue is on offense, just to see that guy operate in space. It's uh it's impressive. And it's it's a Purdue offense that is largely built around Ron Dale Moore. I mean, he had like 150 touches last year. That's insane. Um, so, and then he's going up against the best defensive mind in the Big 12, one of the best defensive minds in college football, Gary Patterson, and the best secondary in the Big 12, TCU's. And so, I just think that's that that's an interesting game within the game. But really, uh, if I'm my my thoughts on this game have actually changed since the summer. I thought this was a game that Purdue is, was was going to win comfortably, and I've actually my thoughts on that have flipped. I think I think TCU is going to is going to handle them pretty easily. Actually,
0: I hope so. I was like to see the Big Twelve do well against these other other uh, Power Five teams. Uh, yeah, Texas Tech at Arizona is kind of interesting Saturday night, nine thirty. But other than that, not a whole lot of interesting. I mean, NC State, West Virginia. I don't I don't know. I mean, I guess K State at Mississippi State also is interesting. But we're going to. What's up? I, just
1: for if anybody here who likes, who likes gambling, I would just say uh, West Virginia right now is only a six and a half point underdog in that game. That's free money for NC State, being only a, a six and a half point favorite. Put it on NC State. West Virginia is real, real bad, everyone. Like, real, real, real bad.
0: Who's NC State played so far this year? Why are they supposed to be a team that could have no problems? 2 0?
1: NC State is 2 and 0 has one games and they have a pulse. Like West <laughs> okay. Virginia is bad. Like West Virginia is not I'm not going to say they're I'm not going to say they're necessarily like Kansas level bad, but they're absolutely middling Mac team bad.
0: <laughs> I guess we'll see. Uh, it's two games. We'll see. Let's go to the national scene cuz we got a couple more Big 12 games to talk about here anyways, but uh, we're not going to start with the Big 12. We're going to go Friday night Washington State Minus eight and a half at Houston. By the way, I guess we should bring up our picks. This is a scenario where normally I don't have a whole lot of background on on research yet. I'm kind of shooting from the hip with my picks, kind of a gut feel. I have a little bit more knowledge, but still not as much as I will have by the end of Friday into Saturday morning. But uh, Grant was five and zero the first week we did this, but then last week Grant you went zero and five, so it all evens out. And I've been three and two the last two weeks, so. Uh, you're 5-5, five and five, I'm 6-4. and four. Nobody's making any money yet off us, but I just want to throw that out there. We haven't been bad, but we haven't been necessarily good. So anyways, back to Washington State at Houston again. Wazoo laying 8.5 on the road. This is a neutral site game where the Texans play. I'm leaning Washington State in this game mainly because I'm a bit irked by Houston's performance against Prairie View A&M, where Houston was up, kind of big but then only managed to score i think six points in the second half against prairie view a&m so i'm not really sure what that team is all about meanwhile washington state i know mike leach their offense is going to be really good the defense seems like it's playing pretty well early on they haven't seen an offense like houston's yet but uh i i'm not that confident in this game i probably wouldn't bet it if i didn't have to but i'm going to lean washington state minus the eight and a half what are you thinking grant
1: I've actually, so last night when we recorded Lee, I was leaning Wazoo as well, but I am now leaning Houston after uh, just reading the game a little bit. Um, a lot, Some of that has to do with just like some computer models uh, like Houston to cover in this game. And also Washington State has not been challenged at all, and they also haven't played anybody with a pulse. Whereas, you know, Houston's gone on the road and they've played Oklahoma. And I, I kind of like the uh, the idea of Derek King in, in the run game. Uh, going up against that sort of aggressive Washington State front. Um, I think De'Ara King is going to get loose. I'm not necessarily saying that Houston is going to win, but I think they're going to cover, or at least I lean them covering right now.
0: All right, next game up is Big 12 matchup. Well, one Big 12 team featured. K-State at Mississippi State. And the Bulldogs are favored by eight in Starkville. This is a Saturday 11 a.m. kick. And... As we discussed this last night in the pod that nobody will ever hear, I was kind of – initially I said I'm leaning Kansas State because I kind of like what Chris Kleiman's done so far, and Kansas State's blown out some teams they're supposed to, and they are clearly playing really well, and they're getting eight points on the road against a Mississippi State team who I'm not quite sure – I'm not quite sure about Joe Moorhead and his offense because it's not that great. Uh, But at the same time, though, when you give your pick – because I'll still say K-State, lean K-State plus uh, plus the eight – but I think you're going to bring up a couple points, or maybe not even points, but I kind of started to think maybe this is a bad pick, but I'm going to stick with it with Kansas State, minus State. Again, leaning, so I, I don't, don't trust it, guys. But eh, just for fun, I'm picking it. Grant, though, I think you're on the other side.
1: Yeah, and I, I lean Mississippi State. And, you know, hey, I'm, I'm actually really impressed with what Kansas State has done in the first two weeks. You know, granted, against Nichols State and Bowling Green, but they've completely run them off the field. And that's not something that even good Kansas State teams has, you know, it hasn't been a cinch for them to do in the past. So um, I think I think Kleiman might, you know, ha- have something working there. Having that been said, you know, I, I'm not necessarily ready to pick them to, you know, to go in into the house of an SEC team and and, comp- and compete really well. I mean, this is this is a team, this Mississippi State team came into Manhattan last year and and really just destroyed Kansas State, kinda toyed with them a little bit. The, uh, the athleticism, the, uh, the level of athlete on the field was, there was just a, a very large difference there. Um, also, there were Mississippi State, they, they played a kind of a close game in week one uh, that gave me pause on them. That was before I found out that they had eight guys from their two deep that were suspended in that game. So they didn't even have it. And they, they had a handful of starters out as well. So they didn't have a full deck in that game. And then also, at the same time, um, uh, Tommy Stevens, their starting quarterback, he hurt his shoulder last week as well, and it's kind of unknown whether or not he's going to be fully healthy. He's expected to play, but nobody knows how effective he's going to be. But still, I I really want to see Kansas State, before I actually start backing them and saying, yeah, this is a good team, this is a good bet, this is the type of game that I need to see them prove that they can go on the road and be competitive and based off everything we've seen from Kansas State the last handful of years, I'm still not ready to get there yet, which is why I think it's just a safer bet right now to lean Mississippi State.
0: No, I think it's a fair handicap, and entirely fair. I think it is kind of interesting from this perspective. we got a guy, Chris Kleiman, who has been just beating the doors off of people at the FCS level and winning national championships. This guy is uh, this guy's not used to, to losing, one, and two, losing in blowout fashion because it doesn't happen at North Dakota State. So I'm kind of curious to see what that mindset going in and facing a, you know, an SEC team on the road, first time, first test, how is this Kansas State team going to look? That's interesting to me. That's kind of a fun little side side story that if you know anything about Chris Kleiman and just kind of where he's been, that this guy is he's not thinking about losing ever. <laughs> so Because, uh, I mean, again, he's been dominating teams for however many years he was at North Dakota State. All right, Alabama laying 25-and-a-half at South Carolina. I don't have a whole lot on this one. Uh, Leaning Bama, it's a huge number, but I can't back South Carolina with a true freshman quarterback going. I know they're at home. I think Bama's had very few times they've gone to South Carolina recently because obviously two different divisions. And I think Bama has not had a... I mean, they've won. I think they they may have lost to... Like Steven Garcia, like ten they years ago, they lost or something the last like time
1: they played in Columbia. But that okay. was also nine years ago. Okay, so. nine
0: years ago. But uh I just you'd feel dumb backing somebody other than Alabama, I think like they even with a big number. So I am gonna lean Bama. What about you? Are you still thinking Bama?
1: Yeah, I'm also leaning Bama, although I did hear a number a stat earlier today that really had me thinking. Uh, to take South Carolina and I was listening to the to the RJ Bell podcast Lee and I, I think you might remember the stat that they brought up but Saban as I think it was a um as like anything over a 25 point favorite I can't ah jeez. now I'm totally flubbing this I can't remember what the exact statistic was it was like anywhere between 22 and 28 point favorite Nick Saban, his his cover rate is only like twenty five percent or something like that.
0: Yeah, I remember the guys talking about those numbers too, and I kind of tuned out because it like the it numbers didn't seem like really, it applied yeah. really to this game. Though I thought it was more telling whenever they were a massive favor, like forty or more, like they were last week. He's had a tough time covering those, which is not surprising because forty plus points is a lot, and you get those games where you're up by thirty five or whatever. I think they were like a 50-point favorite, by the way, last week. You're up by all those points in the fourth quarter. Just just run the ball and, and be done with it. Uh, I think when it was like in the 20s, like it wasn't it wasn't as bad as...
1: I think it, he was 500, I think.
0: Okay. Against the so, spread. yeah, I don't, I don't know. It
1: was like, yeah, it was like when the spread was between like 10 and 20. It's like Alabama covers like 75% of the time, which is insane. Um, but, no, I, I still think the safe bet is Alabama here, especially going up against a true freshman quarterback. And I just – this day and age with how good these offenses are and just especially how, how experienced Alabama is, I don't, I don't think home field advantage matters at all for South Carolina. I don't think two on that offense is going to be phased at all by the road crowd.
0: All right, we got two games left, and we have another Big 12 matchup. Three o'clock kicks Saturday. Iowa at Iowa State and at the time of this recording or the initial recording Iowa was laying two and a half on the road so Iowa State was getting two and a half points at home now it's down to two Iowa State getting two points but we're going to keep it at the two and a half because we've already kind of made our picks before I like Iowa State and you mentioned the RJ Bell podcast with all those guys he has on there point brought up that I forgot to mention in the podcast again that we didn't release doesn't matter but game day and Ames is interesting and i think that's a little bit of juice for iowa state never happened before we saw washington state get some juice last year with game day there for the first time and i think they knocked off oregon so i think that helps as well iowa state i think after the bye it's they bounce back and, and they got to finally beat iowa it's been since 2014 i think the last time iowa state beat iowa i know a lot of this is kind of like emotional, but. A lot of it, too, is me just not ready to jump off of my preseason high thoughts about Iowa State. So I'm going to back them, getting two and a half on Saturday against their rival Iowa. What about you?
1: Yeah, Lee, this is actually, that's exactly why I'm going with Iowa. Because I, I started to realize that any backing of Iowa State would be totally emotion. And well, it's I just not
0: necessarily, it's part emotion, part, I think the handicap in the summer. And you know, this, this is a good team, and I'm not ready to jump off of that. After one poor performance against an FCS school,
1: yeah, I, I guess I'm more. You just you look at all the the numbers and the computer models, and just a lot of them say Iowa should be a pretty big favorite in this game. And then also, I I start to think like I just Iowa State showed no ability to be explosive on offense, and I know it's it's just one game, and they didn't run Brock Purdy at all. But I, I got to think that is that's got to be a concern for them. Where is their explosion going to come from? And also. You know, Iowa has has this defensive end AJ Epenesa, who I think is probably the best defensive lineman in college football. They're not going to be able to block him at all. Like he's going to be in the backfield all game. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I I think Iowa's got better players. Right. I I so I, I'm going to go with them. And and you know what I, and I've I've only I've only became I've only believed more in it now. Like everything I read today, the entire national media is picking Iowa State. And I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna zag while everyone zigs and I'm gonna go with Iowa. All
0: right, the final game is uh Saturday, two thirty kicks. Stanford is at UCF, UCF ranked number seventeen right now. Golden Knights are laying seven and a half at home against Stanford. Another game I don't have a good feel for this one, man. I I, I know. This is Grant's best bet. Wow. Grant's best bet. Well, uh, I'm not uh, this is just gonna be a lean for me it's it's gonna be based off of kind of some square stuff but I'm gonna lean Stanford plus a seven and a half embarrassed last week against UCF uh, USC going to a group of five team definitely gonna have their attention considering UCF has been in the news the last couple of years uh, good good team I think Stanford's gonna want to bounce back I'm not sure if they have any talent though on Stanford so I'm I'm worried about this but I'm just gonna back David Shaw plus seven and a half just gonna lean though Grant what is your best bet
1: UCF minus seven and a half I think they're gonna win this game by three touchdowns um Stanford's not good man they're they're really really not good uh even when KJ Costello was in the game two weeks ago they mightily struggled to move the ball against Northwestern uh, after graduating J.J. Sega whiteside They don't really have any receiving threats to speak of. They still have issues on the offensive line. They haven't been able to run the ball at all. And their, their blue-chip, five-star left tackle, Walker Little, uh, just came out that he's out for the season. UCF has an aggressive attacking-style defense. They are going to live in the backfield all game long against Stanford. I think, I think UCF is going to overwhelm Stanford with their speed. And I think this game has the potential to get ugly. Actually, all right. No but bad, also, can for I can, can I throw can I throw another one out there? And this is this game's not real on, really on anyone's radar, um, but it really stood out to me. Maryland is traveling to Temple uh, on Saturday, and Temple is a seven-point underdog to Maryland. You know, Maryland—they've scored like 140 points the first two weeks. They just blew out Syracuse. Um I am all over Temple in that game. Bet the house on that one. Uh, that's that one is that that's that's quite the layup if if you ask
0: me. So Betting Temple? Um, oh god, yeah. Not everyone was back in Maryland in that one.
1: Yeah, exactly, which is why I'm backing Temple. <laughs> is Temple good? Uh yeah, they have a good defense. Um and I just I'm I don't care what Maryland does. I'm not a believer in Maryland. You don't you're you're not a bad football team one year and then just all of a sudden everything is great it doesn't it just doesn't work that way and so there's i think there's there's quite a bit of market correction that needs to happen this week with maryland and i think that they're gonna they're gonna get woken up at temple
0: all right so you got a best bet on ucf for grant you got a little bonus pick with maryland or no temple and the points over maryland from grant all right well done And also lee i'll ask
1: you I'll, i'll ask you one more question Okay. What is the fan split going to be at the Rose Bowl on Saturday?
0: Just like throw a number out there, like you know, like sixty forty or whatever. Well, first of all, how many people are? How many does the Rose Bowl hold? Like over a hundred thousand?
1: It's like it's like a hundred thousand and change. I think. Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, I mean, is fifty thousand people going to be there total? I I don't I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd say
1: I'd, that's a I'd say that's a that's a healthy guess. It's
0: going to be half because full, there was like.
1: I, th- I think the I think the attendance against San Diego State officially was like thirty two thousand or something.
0: I'll I'll say it'll be something like sixty five thirty five UCLA. I just don't see a lot of OU fan. I mean OU fans will go, and it, I could be off on that too. It's just it's a random middle September game against a not very exciting UCLA team. I don't how many Sooners fans are really pumped out to get to LA right now. You got OU Texas coming up in a couple of weeks. I know a lot of OU fans want to go to that. I I think. I, I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope OU fans do travel well. But uh, I don't know. I'm going to go 65 30. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to go 70 30 UCLA. Yeah, like,
1: I kind of lean where you are as well. I think the whole, uh, oh man, OU is going to outnumber UCLA fans. I think that's that's probably quite a bit overblown. Um, I, yeah, I expect, I mean, I expect not there Georgia, to be a. Where yeah. Georgia
0: fans just travel everywhere and
1: and And they are like, and I know that there was a lot of news this week u c l a is giving out free tickets, which is true they are they're literally giving away tickets um <laughs> I think they're gonna there's gonna be some u c l a fans in the seat, and they're gonna outnumber o u fans i and if not, then man u c l a is hurting. <laughs>
0: All right, that is it for today. We'll be back on Monday with our thoughts on OU UCLA. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.